Hannah Borlas is uh, right at the back. She's actually been uh, uh, the main person who brought this morning together. If you don't know Hannah, you can look around and see Hannah. Also, Anne Winter uh, did a great amount. We had our people cooking pancakes, our, our men on the pancakes. Uh, so for all who helped, can we just uh, acknowledge them and thank them for this morning? Lauren put together a great video. I love that. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, spaghetti and meatballs is a great meal in the Stanford household. I'm keen to get invited over for that sometime. And uh, another beautiful thing I think I saw uh, when we were doing communion, that was just lovely to see. Um, but I saw Zoe got served communion three times by all the men in her family. So triple cleansing. That's it. So, uh, so it's good. Um, I do want to... Yeah, it's just honour all the, the mums and all the women in our church. Um, but I do want to particularly take the opportunity to honour my uh, gorgeous wife, Mel. And on top of all the normal parenting things, one of the things that Mel's done for the past 13 years every week is that when, um, when we're trying to get the kids or when she's trying to get the kids to church, she's doing that on her own and then every night... When uh, I'm here at church, she's putting the kids to bed on her own. She's done that basically every Sunday for 13 years. So thank you, Mel. It's awesome. You're awesome. Can we? Yeah, be great. But to all the mums, the sacrifices that you make, the service that you give, the love that you give, uh, it doesn't go to waste. It doesn't go to the waste. You need to be proud of all that you do. Um, before I preach this morning, I do want there's to... A, there's a, a topic in our media um, that lots of people have been been on the minds of lots of people, right? It's not that it's not actually the crows win last night, um, but it's actually this whole issue around where Christianity is at in our society, uh, what's happening to the freedoms that we've taken for granted in our country since the day of federation, and I guess a bit of a lightning rod point has been this issue around. Israel Folau, that not too many people, I think, have missed in our, uh, in our church. And uh, there's no doubt we live in changing times, don't we? We live in changing times. And um, I think that people are, um, people are feeling it. People are feeling that. And uh, I guess I just want to, I think it's probably appropriate for me to actually say something around that this morning. The first thing I'll say is that um, what Israel Folau quoted... Uh, probably was not what I would have put on social media. That's the first thing. Uh, it came across as a judgmental statement rather than one where that also had grace in it. Uh, secondly, uh, he, he was probably foolish to post that given that he had made some level of agreement not to do so. Um, perhaps he, when he made that agreement, he probably shouldn't have done or fleshed out exactly what he was permitted to say or not permitted to say. But the reality is uh, what he has been... Uh, judged and what they're now working at how they'll punish him for is basically he's quoted the bible and for that he is going to lose his job and lose his career and uh that's incredible uh he's been judged not to have breached um uh his code of uh, employment but to have had the absolute highest level possible breach that you could ever have for quoting scripture and that's interesting because lots of you i think are employed by people. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your freedom? And uh, there's a lot of talk about a diverse and inclusive society. Um, what does that mean for people that don't fit in? Is it only 
diverse and inclusive for certain people? Uh, that's the question. Um, you know, as you know, Israel comes from a very conservative, deeply religious background, as many of the Islander rugby players do. Uh, are they now excluded from our society because of their beliefs? So there's two, um, two things that have stuck with me. I've just got to grab my little clicker. A um, couple of slides, if we can bring up my, the slides. There's two, two slides that have come across my uh, uh, desk or have seen somewhere or other this week that I think are relevant to this. And uh, oh, Okay, no problems. Um, we've just got to plug that in. If we can flip through in a second. Okay, here we go. Do you want to just flick to the next slide? There we go. This is by Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. He said this. He said, my dear... This is lived a long time ago. My dear brethren, do not try to make the gospel tasteful to carnal minds. Hide not the offence of the cross, lest you make it of none effect. The angles and corners of the gospel are its strength. To pare them down is to deprive it of its power. Um, toning down is not the increase of its strength, but the death of it. It's a pretty powerful statement. Secondly, uh, a quote by a famous German Lutheran pastor at the time of uh, Nazi Germany, a man who spoke out against the Nazi regime when almost all of his fellow pastors didn't. And uh, he ended up spending seven years in Dachau concentration camp for speaking. Uh, he said this, First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Um, mostly I think we have Christians have thought, let's just not speak and keep our head down and never say anything and that's going to be the way forward, that's going to get us through. We're probably hitting a point in our society where it's time for us to think about how we speak in an appropriate and gracious way rather than just sitting back and remaining silent. And that's something we all need to wrestle with. Um, amazing pictures came out yesterday of the Super Rugby game where the players from both teams gathered in a circle before the game to pray for the situation. Incredible. Um, prayer is a powerful weapon and next Saturday we go to an election. Now, you would have received a letter from me. I'm not being party political in that letter. I hope you saw that. What I am saying is let us think about how we vote. Let us pray about it. It's not just about economic matters, the election that we're going into. There's a whole range of issues we need to consider. All right. So um, it is timely that we're studying Romans. Oops. It is timely that we're stu studying Romans. Romans was written to a people who were being persecuted. Romans was written by a man who would be executed for declaring the truth of the gospel. And he writes to people who are suffering persecution. So everything in this is incredibly powerful. It would seem that actually if you quoted sections of Romans, it is leading to a point in Australia where possibly to quote parts of Romans chapter 1 could lead you into a position of great conflict and condemnation in Australia. Paul wrote this gospel because he said people who are facing difficult times need to know this truth more than ever. And um, 
Uh, actually, uh, I'm going to get into this. Uh, I've got to say that my sermon is not, there's not a lot of laughs in my sermon. It's a heavy sermon. It's a teaching sermon. Therefore, I thought I'd borrow from Nat and do, for those who missed it last week, but round two of uh, Would You Rather, okay, for those who know what I'm talking about last week. So Nat tied it in beautifully to his sermon. What I'm going to share with you has got nothing to do with my sermon. It's just a, it's just a little laugh before we get into the heaviness of Romans chapter 6, okay? So would you rather... Here we go. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? (laughs) It's, what what are the advantages? Uh, Well, if you had legs as long as your fingers, you'd have normal fingers and you would save money on jeans. If you had fingers as long as your legs... You would be great at volleyball. Um, it'd be a sporting advantage. Uh, you would have your photo in the Guinness Book of World Records. And what else? You'd be great at tickles. <laughs> we'll just let that one float over the congregation. And now we go to Romans chapter 6. Okay, what would you prefer? Let's go back. Who would choose legs as long as your fingers? There are some. Who would choose fingers as long as your legs? Really? Wow. That's going to have... You haven't thought that through. I don't know whether that's actually the way you should vote. Okay. Romans chapter 6. Let's, let's get into this wonderful scripture. Here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Uh, I've got to keep track here. You, you, I might get you to track with my slides if that's possible. Uh, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If we die to Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness. 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. For sin, uh, because you are not under the law, but under grace. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Okay, I want to start by zooming out and going to a bit of an overview of where we've been and where we're going in Romans. Romans, kind of the sections that we've gone through, breaks up into three main sections to start with. Romans 1 through the first half of Romans 3 is all about God's uh, condemnation of sinners. Paul presents uh, the, I guess, brutal and harsh reality that many people don't want to face, want to ignore, want to uh, just not accept that God condemns sinners of whom I am one. The good news then comes in the second half of Romans 3 to the end of chapter 5, Paul presents the justification of sinners. How sinners move from being a position of being uh, condemned because of their sin to being reconciled with God, brought into a right relationship with God. How do we move from that position, condemnation to right relationship? Well, it happens through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith alone, receiving reconciliation as a gift of grace, lovingly given by God, who is both gracious and just. The condemnation we deserved was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus, a perfect once and for all sacrifice who came to be our rescue. He justified us just as if we'd not sinned. So the first part is condemnation of sinners. The second part is the justification of sinners. And then the third part that we begin today is the sanctification, not of sinners, but of saints. So we've become saints, saved by God. And now we, in chapter 6 on, we look at this topic of sanctification, which is a big theological word, which basically means how we are changed by God and made holy uh, by Him. And the key point is this, we have not been saved so that we can just continue living the old life that we had before we were saved. We're not saved just to get some ticket so in some future we gain some benefit and we, but this life we just continue living exactly as we used to. The whole point is that we should be changed by God and God wants to actually work that change in us day by day that we might live the life he's given us. And so there's two core questions that I want to focus on and uh, I think I've put these in here. No, I haven't. Um, there's two core questions. The first is this. As a Christian, how does being a Christian change our relationship to God? And secondly, how does our, being a Christian change our relationship to sin? How does being a Christian change our relationship to God? And how does it change our relationship to sin? And there's an underlying thing here that I want to get you just to kind of have in the back of your mind. And it's this. We tend to think that physical realities are the ultimate realities. So what is measurable, what is, what is visible, uh, um, that kind of 
we, we just go, well, that's, that's real, right? And so um, we see the physical, we see the visible, and we consider that to be reality. And then we consider spiritual things often to be kind of abstract concepts and not much more. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that spiritual things are more real than physical things. And this is talking about spiritual things and spiritual changes that Jesus has won for us. And I want to suggest that's more real than physical things, if that makes sense. Okay. And um, so I'm going to teach through this. And it's a teaching sermon, so you're going to have to stay with me. Okay. There's not going to be a lot of stories, not going to be a lot of jokes, apart from uh, the ones I've already thrown out, which are very limited. So there we go. Here we go. Here's the concern. We're just going to work through this passage. What shall we say then? I'm going to go back here to verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Here is the concern that people would raise about the Christian belief in salvation by grace. The, the concern is this. If we don't have to do works to be saved, doesn't that mean everyone's just going to go wild? You just do whatever you want. You're saved by grace. You just live however you want. In fact, if you're going to push the logic of the argument even further, when we sin, grace increases and grace is a good thing. So sinning makes grace increase. Those people say, Paul, isn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't like sinning more just make grace increase and grace is a good thing? Therefore, when you sin, it's almost like it's a good thing. That's the argument throwing out. And there's something about this idea that, you know, like if, if people have to live by the rules, if people have to be following the rules, desperately hoping that one day the rules and, and law abiding and, 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 and obeying a scripture is going to lead them to salvation, won't that lead people to be better behaved? Uh, poet W.H. Auden said this, he said, I like committing crimes, God likes forgiving them, really the world is admirably arranged. Well, this is Paul's answer. He says, by no means. And if, uh, I think if Paul was here and was actually speaking out his, his, what he has written, he'd be saying, by no means. Are you crazy? That's the, that's the dumbest idea ever. To just go on sinning, thinking that somehow grace increases now that you've got a new life. No way. Don't do that. Just, just, no. <laughs> That's what he would say. And then the rest of this passage is explaining why he would be so emphatic in saying that is ridiculous. I'm going to work through this. I've got about three key points. We're going to go through them. The first is this, and I'm going to work down to verse 6 and then work back. Verse 6 uh, says this. It says, um, what shall we say then? Uh, where are we? I'm in the wrong verse. I'm going to go ahead here. Verse 6 says, uh, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So the first point we're going to make here is that you used to be, before being a Christian, you used to be, the scripture says, a slave to sin. You used to be a slave. 
That was our state. That was our spiritual state. Slaves to sin. Now, what does a slave do in their life? They do basically whatever their master tells them to do. That's what a slave does. Uh, I know that uh, a, a slave's job is not to, to think and not to weigh it up. When they get an instruction, they just do it. That's, that's what a slave does. I know at home, uh, we like, sometimes like to emphasize the fact to our children that we are not slaves. We make comments like, uh, what am I, your slave? Or um, this is a bit of a favorite of mine. I'm not your slave, you know. Uh, you can do stuff yourselves. Um, and the reason I want to emphasize that is because slavery is not good. Slavery is horrible. You see images of slave, slaves. You see the African-American African slaves coming into England or America. Horrific pictures. Shackled. Their freedom gone. Made to work. Uh, the power to choose taken away. Children then born into slavery, controlled, a commodity. That's slavery. It's horrible. There's still slaves today. Many slaves. The Bible says we were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. We had a master and our master was sin. Romans 1 says, going back to what we preached uh, probably a month or two ago now, the wrath of God is being revealed against heaven, against the, uh, all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It goes on to say, uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made from the creation. So people uh, are without excuse. And then it says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that is where we all were before we repented and believed. The interesting part is that uh, the state of being a slave to sin is not sort of necessarily that someone just lives a completely outrageous, sinful life. I know many people who are not believers who live a, seemingly a, a morally good life. I'd say they're good people. They, 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 uh, they have good values. Uh, but the heart of the matter is, uh, where does the glory go in their life? Who are they living for? This verse here is, says they, ne they, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks for him. And so the, the heart of the question is, uh, who are people wanting to live for and give glory to and give thanks to? And so when, when you are a slave to sin, you do not want to give glory to God. You do not want to submit to God. You will not obey God. You will not uh, worship God. You will not give thanks to God. Instead, ultimately, the person you want to be God, the person who's in control, is yourself. And the scripture says that is being a slave to sin. Okay, so we used to be slaves. As I said, this is heavy, heavy duty stuff, but something happened. What happened? What happened is this, two words, you died. You died. I said to my wife this morning, little trick question as I prepared to my sermon, I said, Mel, have you ever died before? 
she rolled her eyes and looked at me and said, no. I said, you're wrong. <laughs> I actually said this. I said, you're wrong. Um, happy Mother's Day. Um, it's the joys of living with a pastor. Uh, verse 2, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 3, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is a spiritual reality that, as I say, is more real than physical reality. Okay? If you had died, if you'd been in a situation, I don't know whether anyone here has, some people die in a situation after a, an accident or a medical situation where they literally die and then are brought back to life. That is a physical reality. If that had happened to you, you would know about that and it would probably change your life. Right? People who have been in that situation where they've had a, a near-death experience or they've been through a situation where they've become extremely close to death and then they've come back and regained health and life, what, what effect does that have on them? Small or big? Big effect. It changes their thinking. They're like, wow, I've got a second go at life here. I've got to reassess my values. In fact, I personally experience that every time I go to a funeral. Every time I go to the funeral, I sit there and I think, all the trivial stuff that I worry about, get frustrated by, get caught up in, I think, man, I've got to just start living for the stuff that's really important. Life is so short. And, and the stuff that you get caught up, does anyone else think that sometimes? Lots of people. Well, you haven't almost died. You have actually died spiritually. The Bible says you died. And I, I want you to try to get your head around that, what that actually means. Scripture says, we are those who have died to sin. Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that actually mean? It's a spiritual thing. When we became, uh, when we became one with Jesus, when we became in Jesus, then we joined Jesus in his death, in his burial, and then in his resurrection. This is what the passage goes on to say. It says, uh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, we were buried with him, and then just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we were raised that we too may live a new life. This picture is our story. There's a gravestone with someone's name on it. George White. And we spiritually have an old self, the old self that was a slave to sin, and I, I really believe this is so important, and that self died and was buried. And then we have been raised into a new life. So as verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
You know, there's two ways to get out of slavery. Two ways you can get out of slavery. One is that someone pays the price for you to be set free. And that is what Jesus has done. But there's another way to get out of slavery. That is to die. Okay? You are no longer a slave when you die. Uh, In the movie, in the 1960 film Spartacus, don't ask me why I'm quoting this film. Uh, I haven't even seen it, but it's a good quote. Um, Says this. This is Spartacus. He was a slave. He says, when a free man dies, he loses the pleasures of life. A slave loses his pain. Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. Interesting quote. So, this is the message. We were alive, but slaves to sin. We have spiritually died, and we have been raised to a new life. And here's the application and the implication. Now, we have a new life, and we are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer a slave. Sin is not your master. And this has an implication on our relationship to sin and how we live our lives. You know, some people, when they share their testimony, have a radical conversion story. Okay? They've got a radical conversion story. But others of us, and I hear this often, and it frustrates me, say, I don't have much of a conversion story. Right? I don't have much of a testimony. Seriously? This is your testimony. You are alive... And you died. And then you were raised to a new life. Hello? That's radical. That's unbelievable. And I don't think we grasp that. I I don't think we understand the implications of that. So let me spell this out for us. We used to be under Adam. Under Adam was sin and death and slavery. This is what Nat preached last week. But now we are under Christ, which is forgiveness and freedom and fullness of life. And basically what Paul is saying is this is now you have a new life of freedom, of forgiveness. Why would you allow yourself to live like a slave? This relates to our relationship to sin. John Piper uh, said this, I think I've got this quote, or not. He says this, he says, You were made to display the all-satisfying beauty and greatness of God by savouring Him as the true treasure of your life. You were made to display the all-satisfying beauty and greatness of God by savouring Him as the true treasure of your life. And I don't know, like I'm a a footy guy, I love my footy and I like to be in the footy change rooms pre-match. And so I imagine this here, that Paul would... This is like a pre-game rev up. That's the quote. This is like the pre-game rev up. Paul is saying here, and Piper is saying, before we run out into live our lives, he's saying, you are made to display the all-satisfying beauty and greatness of God in your life. You are made, Jesus says, to live life in all its fullness. And to savour God as the true treasure in your life. Now, get out there and let's do this thing. Why would we allow ourselves to live as though we're slaves to sin? So, naturally, 
we never sin in our lives. I'm sure that's the case for all of us. The question here is, what is the relationship with sin? Why do we continue to sin? Why do we deal with that? And there's an answer here. This is the key, fourth key point, is Satan wants you to think that you're still a slave. Satan wants you to think that you're still a, a slave. And there, we need to understand uh, there is an evil one. He is a deceiver. He is a tempter. And he wants to deceive you into thinking that you are what you're not and that you're not what you are. That is why we're given the application of this passage. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now you would imagine, surely a slave who has been set free, would never want to be a slave again. You would think that, right? But we know that the Israelites were led out of slavery into the desert, and when they got into that state of being free, then they got stuck in the desert, and what did they start saying to themselves? Let's go back to Israel. Slavery, yeah, that wasn't so bad. We know that today there is a human trafficking uh, movement that is trying to rescue people from human trafficking and offering often from situations of uh, sex slavery and prostitution. Do you know that one of the difficult things they find is having rescued some of the women out of that, they actually want to return and choose to return back to that. Why would you go back to slavery? Why? Because Satan's a deceiver and he's a tempter because somehow there's some sort of comfort. So we are like the ones who, and this is our position, we are free. Sin is not our master. We actually have a power in Jesus to resist sin. We are not chained by the power of sin, right? Some of us are caught in patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, of saying words, of doing actions that are destructive and unhelpful. And at times, this is the, the point, we, we get to a state where we think, this is just who I am. I don't have the power to overcome this. I can't stop this in my life. I can't deal with this. This is who I am. This is where I stand. And the message is this. We are no longer chained. And God is wanting to help us know that we are free and then live in that freedom because sin is no longer your master. So when we are tempted and when we are deceived and when we sin, ultimately we actually do that. Here's the bad part for us. We do that because we choose it, because we actually allow ourselves to be tempted and be deceived. But when we sin, we are no longer condemned we are not chained and we can, in the power of God, step out of that jail cell. It's like the song we sing, um, Glorious Day. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Ran out of it. That's what we need to do. When we get caught in something, we just got to run out and we got to just actually claim the victory that Jesus has won. There's an old hymn called And Can It Be? And because I grew up in a uniting church, I grew up singing this one. It's a great hymn. One of the, the, the chapters of this, and we might have the band come up as I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up, is this. It says this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's nigh. 
Thine eye, my eye diffused a quickening ray, light. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? So Paul says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves, or in other verses, other versions it says, rather offer every part of yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself, there it is, to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no, not under the law, but under grace. So this morning, I just want to put it out there. Because I know that Satan wants to get us trapped in patterns of thinking, patterns of living, patterns of acting that are tied to the old self. Jesus wants us to know we are not in that cage anymore. The door of that prison cell is wide open. And Jesus is saying, God is saying to us, step out. Have nothing to do with that. There is a power and there is a freedom that I have won for you that you do not need to dwell in that pit of mud and mire. And so often Christians find themselves in that place. This morning, I want to pray that the Word of God and the Gospel might have a power to remind us, to stir us, to change us, to let us know of the reality that we might be lifted out of that. Maybe there's something in your life that is just a pattern that you get stuck in. And maybe you have begun to accept that. A pattern of speaking, of things you say. A pattern of action, of things you do. And you've just come to accept, well, this is kind of part of my life. This is part of the deal. It is not part of the deal for those who are in Christ. We are free. Let us walk in the freedom that Christ has won for us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I I wrote this message with a great confidence. A great confidence in your power. That this morning you wanted to break off the chains of some people in this church. We come to church and we can can look free and easy. But I know the reality is that the evil one presses into us daily, wanting to make us believe and accept that we are slaves to sin. Or, Or he wants to just make us not even think about sin, sin as an antiquated, old-fashioned concept. But God, I believe that you want to break off some chains this morning. Or it would be better to say, I, wanna, I, I came into this believing that this morning, not that you would break off some chains, that actually you would help some people in this room know that they are not in chains. You're not in chains. You are free and you are alive. 
Your old self has died and been buried. As we are one with Jesus, we have been raised to a new life. I'm so excited, God, to preach next week about what it means to be alive to God. But this morning, I want to ensure that we know we are not in prison. We are not in slavery. We are not in chains. We have a new life. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.